Well, it's good to be here with you today. Um, it's always a joy to be in my home assembly, taking the platform and sharing from God's Word. It's wonderful because the faces I see in front of me, I love to see. And they look back at me with love and uh, concern, and I truly do appreciate it. I would also ask that while I'm up here that you continue to pray for me. Remember that my frame is but dust. You know, when we approach something like that is uh, before God's church, it is a, it is a, uh, a very, very serious matter. So turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 5. The subject that we have before us today in Acts chapter 5 is also a very serious matter. Acts chapter 5. Within that... Within this chapter, we have several stories that have to deal with apostleship, God's church, personal conduct. There are many different levels, and we probably, within the next uh, 30 minutes, are not going to be able to look at all of the different levels the entire depth of the stories that we have in there, but we will do our best to look at uh, those that uh, God enables us to, and uh, we would just trust uh, for Him, for His guidance, His leading, and for His help as we study this portion of Scripture. Beginning our reading in chapter 5, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men, and the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. 
There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all that the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain and the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly commend you, saying that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, who boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men round about four hundred joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God." And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. What an amazing story we have before us. Do you know, it would seem as though what is actually in the balance here is the validity of the apostles, the credibility of their testimony. The apostles, you would recall, were commanded, weren't they not, to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And the most amazing thing is the 
people knew that Jesus Christ had been what? Crucified. But they were preaching not a crucified Christ. They were preaching and teaching a resurrected Christ. That's right, brother. A resurrected Christ. He was not dead. He was not in the tomb. But He is risen. And they were preaching and teaching these things. And as they preached and as they taught these things, they ran into fierce opposition. Not just somebody saying, you know, I'm not really quite sure. But it was fierce opposition. Fierce opposition not only from the people, but from all those who had positions of authority. From all those who in the temple had places and positions. They were facing fierce and severe opposition. So much so that the man that was had in reputation, Gamaliel, he says, you know, if what they're doing is of men, and he cited several examples, right? Thutis and somebody else, this person did so and so, and this person did such and such. And you know, several people joined themselves to him and they created a big, a big to-do for a little while, but sooner or later it all just fizzled out. So you just let these people alone and it's just going to fizzle out as well. But you know, God had a different design, didn't He? He had a different purpose. Do you know the apostles, when we hear what's happening, what they're saying, right, about Ananias and Sapphira who schemed, they said, you know, you haven't lied to me, to a man, to men, but you have lied to who? God. And what was the proof that they had lied not to men, but to God? What was the proof? What do we read? They were at that moment dead, taken out. Now, there's a lot of question as to whether Ananias and Sapphira were believers. And you know, we might use the fact that the Lord took them out as evidence that they were not believers. But how would you hold up if you were to apply this, that standard, that very same standard to yourself? Because you have sinned, the Lord takes you out. How would we do if we held up under that standard? If we said to, Ananias, said to Ananias and Sapphira, you can't be believers because the Lord took you out. How would we hold up to that standard? I don't know about you, but I can tell you that I oftentimes fall short. I often find myself in a position where I have to bend the knee and bow the head and I have to look to God Almighty. I have to look to His Son, the Lord Jesus, and I have to confess something. I have to confess that I've sinned. But I can confess with confidence and assurance that when I confess, He is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Is it the same for you? So what might have been different with Ananias and Sapphira in this particular case? What might have been different with them? Well, I would bring you back to the chapter previous in verse 32. And ask you to read there with me, as I read aloud, these very words penned by, the, penned by Luke, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the multitude of them that what? Believed. Were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. I would think that the evidence 
for Ananias and Sapphira not being believers is that's the acid test right there that they did not believe. But you might say, why did they join themselves to the church if they did not believe? Well, do you know there are, Scripture would tell us, even today in the church, tares. There are people who are in the church that are not believers. And you know, the Lord also goes on to tell us that you're not supposed to go around trying to pull them up. But they are, in fact, to wait. And you know the Lord will be the one who will straighten those things out. But Ananias and Sapphira, it would seem, do not fall into the category of people and the multitude of them that believed. But you might have another argument saying, Tim, how in the world could they not have believed? They were there in the early church. And it's quite possible. This is, this is not that long from the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. How could those who were there, who may have even witnessed the crucifixion, crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, how would they fall into the category of not believing? Well, it's oftentimes a question we might have to ask even ourselves. You might have come to the conclusion that the Lord Jesus was, in fact, a historical figure, right? That, that in fact, is true, right? That He was, in fact, a historical figure. He did, in fact, live on the face of the earth. There's much historical evidence to prove this point. But, you know, Scripture doesn't ask us just simply to believe that He was, in fact, the person who walked and talked and lived on the face of the earth. They ask us to believe something about Him that's very unique, we are to believe that He is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, the unique Son of God. And that not only was He the Son of God, but He was God incarnate. And in order to believe that, you have to come to a certain conclusion that says... As a man, as people, as human beings living on the face of the earth, we have to confess and admit that it was man who crucified God Almighty, the Lord Jesus, in the person, in the flesh. We have to come to that conclusion. Now, I don't know what it is for you, but I can tell you for me, to come to that conclusion, to have to admit and to agree with God, those things is very difficult. Read Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. What does it say about you? What does it say about you, the unredeemed one? All of those things that God says about the unredeemed, the unregenerate man, we must agree with God that it is the truth. And that only in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, the only perfect man, He is the only one in which we can believe and have our sins forgiven and to be given eternal life. There is no other way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So in the Acts of the Apostle, we have that story, that one prominent story in front of us, but there are several other stories throughout Scripture that talk about miracles, wonders, and signs that the Apostles did that were wrought among the people There's also a misconception that happens when people think about the early church there. They talk about things that each and every person there sold all the things that they have and everybody had everything in common and people are sometimes willing to say that that was the first example of communism. But I'm here to tell you that's not the truth because, in fact... Although Scripture says they had all things in common, they most certainly 
We're not communists. Because you see, in Scripture, it would say, by, our, by the very Scriptures we're reading here today, even talking about Ananias, it would say of him, whilst that land remained, was it not thine own? And the money after you sold it, wasn't it your own? You know, private property. There's a right of every believer to have private property. There's also the right of every believer to his money. Right of every believer to his land, to his money. Private property is not forbidden in the church. But I would say that in communism, private property is very much forbidden. And you know, it's not voluntarily surrendering private property. It's taken private property by force. So if you ever hear the argument regarding the church being somewhat communistic, you might be able to say, yes, it is true, we have all things in common, and yet we still retain ownership of them. But the unique thing about you and I, who are in the church, is that all of the things that we do have, we have said we have done what? All to Jesus, I surrender. So though we have possession of those things, we have possession in the way that a steward has possession of things, don't we? We're responsible for the care, for the maintenance, for the use of those things. And the purpose and the design for the way we use these things is as unto the Lord. They're not for our own. What is it James says even in regards to our prayers? He says, you ask and you have not because you ask amiss. That you might consume it upon your own lust. That's not the way for the believer or the church to conduct themselves. You know, though, we, though it says and though it is true that we should have all things in common... God never by force takes those things away from us. But you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they were doing something interesting, weren't they? They were actually scheming. They were actually planning. And they were actually doing something that was using deception and subtlety. Now, who is the great master of, uh, of deception and subtlety? Who's the great master of it? Who is the one who came with subtlety, right? To Eve. It was the serpent, the devil, our adversary. You know, he is the one that uses subtlety. It's not for you and I as believers to use subtlety. You know, it's not for you and I to have an outward facade of righteousness, an outward facade of doing things correctly. It's not for us to have the outward appearance only. But God demands truth in what? The inner parts. The inward man, the inner man. is He demands and he has a right to the truth that we conduct ourselves properly. Do you know, the fact that the Lord brings up here land is an interesting thing. Do you know, because uh, Judas, you would remember what happened with Judas and the money. It says that he bought a piece of land. Doesn't it turn with me to Acts chapter 1? It is said of Judas, who betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver, that he in fact bought a field with that reward. Now this man purchased a field, speaking of Judas, with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. 
It's an interesting thought, isn't it? That a person who wanted to have a certain something, willing to do something less than honest, less than uh, uh, righteous, to gain something, that very thing may end up being what actually causes the demise of the per- person. You know, it is said of that field, right? Prophesied even in, even in the Psalms that it was a field of blood. Acts one eighteen talks about Judas having betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver and having bought the land. Turn back again with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 4 and read the story of another interesting point here. At least interesting to me, and I hope for you as well. Beginning in verse 34, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, that is to say Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now some of you who know your Old Testament history would know something about the Levites. What portion of land were the Levites given for their inheritance? Does anyone remember? They were not given any land for their inheritance, were they? But they were given the tenth of all the other tribes. That was to go to the Levites. And then there was even a further breaking down of those who were to minister at the altar and those who were to take care of the things in the tabernacle, the temple. And this was the portion that was given to the Levites, the sons of Aaron, if you would recall. And how is it, how as time progresses, how people end up perverting that which is God's order for things. The Levites were not to have. But they had land. So Barnabas here is in the place where he is selling land. And he is, in effect, giving the money for the land back to the church. He is, in effect, being restored to a proper place. What was that place that he would be restored to? Having believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus. The place where you and I as well are now brought in. It was a place of what? Priesthood. Priesthood. Amen. The place of priesthood. That's what was happening here with Barnabas. He was being restored. Isn't it a wonderful thing to think that God is in the business of restoration? I don't know if you've picked it out in Scripture, but you know, from the time of the fall of man, from the time of Genesis, where Adam and Eve first took of that fruit that they were commanded not to take and did eat and fell away from God, there was a relationship, there was a place that man had that he lost at the moment he sinned. He fell. But God has ever since that time been in the business of what? Restoration. And one day with the culmination of our Lord Jesus Christ coming back, as we were thinking about as we were breaking bread today, face to face with Christ our Savior, one day, that unknowable time when He is returning, one day when He returns, all things will be set in order. All things will be restored. He is in the business right now of reconciling all things. Turn back with me, if you would, chapter 3. Verse 17. 
And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all His prophets, that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And He shall send Jesus Christ, which, was preached, which, was, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. This times of restitution or restoration. Do you know, our Lord Jesus right now, by the work of the cross, by the work of the Holy Spirit, is, is, is convicting men of sin and He is bringing men to Himself. There is the process of restoration and reconciliation. A verse that we oftentimes quote, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? Being reconciled to God. We now have peace. At one time we were at enmity with God, but now at peace with Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's in the process of restoring all things of reconciling all things. Do you know one of the most amazing things about the very church that we sit in here today, and I say the very church meaning you, not the building. The very church here is God's establishment or reestablishment, if you will, of His order. You know, we are in and stand in stark contrast to the order out there. Do you know, they have completely and totally put things upside down. Whereas we would recognize God as the head of Christ and Christ as the head of man and man as the head of woman. We would recognize all of those things in Christ, of course, the head of the church. We would recognize all of those things. They are in their proper order, restoring proper order. You and I, witnesses and testimony to the world right now that God has the ability to establish things in their proper order. You know, one of the things here as we talk about headship you know, as being taught on our Wednesday evening Bible study in uh, Romans, or sorry, Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is that visible imagery, that visible imagery where headship is clearly defined. You know, one of the things we do here is we assemble, not only with words, but in imagery, in picture form. We are, in effect, God's order restored. His government here on, order, here on earth restored. That is why when Ananias and Sapphira did this thing, it was an incredible affront. You see, had they been able to succeed in their deceit and in their deception, the credibility, the validity of the apostles would have come into question. And if, in fact, I mean, this would not have gone on in secret. Sooner or later, somebody would have found out. And they would have said, do you know what Ananias and Sapphira did? They sold a piece of land. And you know what? They kept back a price of it. And they went up to the Apostle Peter and they laid the money out there. And he didn't even know. What kind of a prophet could that be? What kind of an apostle is that? What were the apostles? The apostles were the very representatives of who? Of Christ. The very representatives of Christ. When they lied to Peter, he didn't say, you lied to me. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. There were several things that were happening there on several different levels. Number one, it was God's command. Believers, you must have truth in the inward parts. Both inside and outside. Your conduct must be upright. You cannot lie to God. He sees all things. He knows all things. You cannot lie to Him. Now, 
if you have been lying, that will bring a little bit of uncomfortability to you. But I want to reassure you of something. Even though you think you may have been lying to Him, He has known all along what it is that you've been trying to hide. And He is ready right now to restore you to proper fellowship with Him. Do you believe that, saints of God? I believe it. It's what the Word of God says. And you know, because the apostles are the ones through whom the Holy Spirit used to write these words and their apostleship and the proof of their representative uh, position, representatives of Christ, we know that what they have written is true and we can count on it and have confidence in it. You see, if Ananias and Sapphira had succeeded, if they had been able to get away with this ruse, their credibility, the very doctrine they were teaching, would have been questioned. Do you know one of the things that the Apostle Paul had to continuously do throughout his entire ministry was in fact to defend his apostleship. It was constantly being called into question. It was constantly being challenged. There were constantly people who would do things contrary to the teaching of the, of the Apostle Paul. And he had to constantly remind them of who he was and where it was that he got what it was that he had that he delivered to the churches. He said, I didn't just create this stuff. I didn't just come up with it. But it was given to me from the risen Lord who sits on the throne of God. Right? That's where they got this. And so Ananias and Sapphira, this ruse that they had hoped to complete and fulfill, this ruse that they had wanted to play, they had hoped to be able to deceive well, what was it they were trying to gain by doing this? You know, a lot of times we as human beings, you know, we want to be liked by other people and we want them to think more highly of us maybe than they should. It happens. The pride and the arrogance of man, the flesh. We were hearing our brother talk about, oh, my soul, it longs for you, God. But my flesh is constantly opposed to the direction that my soul would go. In the church, the validity, the credibility, the apostleship was being affirmed by what was going on. Do you know in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, turn there with me if you would. I know we're a little late on time, but we ran a little late. Just please bear with me. Peter, you would recall... Preaching... He says here, ye men of Israel, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. What is He? A man. What is He? Approved. Approved of God among you. How? By miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed from the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be holden of it. What the apostle here is doing is talking about the credibility of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that He is risen just as He said He would do. And while He was here, He did miracles, He did wonders, and He did signs. This was the sign or the affirmation, the credibility, the indication that this was the Son of God. 
But you know, the apostles, after the Lord Jesus was taken up from them, if you recall, they were standing there looking up, and then the angels came and says, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up? The one who left you in so fast, he's coming back again in the same way. And then he goes on to tell them what their mission is. And what did the Lord Jesus say in another place? He says, you know, after my departure, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to guide you into all truth. And He's going to show you all things. He's not going to talk about Himself. But what He is going to do is talk about me, the Lord Jesus. And you see, this is what was happening here. The Lord Jesus was uh, approved by miracles, wonders, and signs, wasn't He? Well, right here in the church, the apostles who were the representatives of Christ, and they were the ones who the Holy Spirit came upon and they spoke in tongues the birthday of the church. Now they too are being what? Established. The fact that the Holy Spirit was dwelling inside them, they are being established and affirmed and the credibility is being uh, cemented, uh, written in stone, if you will, by the very acts of the Holy Spirit that, were, that they were doing, the miracles that were wrought by their hands. So you see, in two ways, one, Ananias and Sapphira, if they had succeeded, the credibility of the apostles would have surely been cut short. If, in fact, the apostles could not have wrought those miracles, wonders, and signs by their hands through God, then their apostleship would have come into question. And so what we see here in chapter 5, we see, number one, a challenge to who they are. We see God establishing them in their position, who they are, certifying them as being apostles, as being His representatives. We see the certification of it. We also see the willingness on the part of the apostles to suffer for the, for the name of Christ. Now, I heard the other day a man ask this question. He said, Are you a card-carrying Christian? which many would say, yes, I am. I'm a card-carrying Christian. I'm ready to identify myself by my card. Anytime you might ask, am I a card-carrying Christian? I've got it right here. And then the question was asked, are you a cross-carrying or bearing Christian? I had to ask myself that question in earnest. Am I willing to carry the cross, if you will, right? Take up your cross and follow me were the words of the Lord Jesus, right? To the young man, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Am I just a card-carrying Christian or am I a cross-bearing Christian? Do you know our Lord Jesus, right? He never said to any of them, give me your land, give me your money. You're commanded to do this. You're commanded to do that. But what He has wanted from each and every one of us is that free will offering. Not a tenth. Not even two tenths. All. But given how? Voluntarily. Voluntarily. An expression of gratitude. You know, some of you may stop by the 7-Eleven from time to time and pick up a lottery ticket. And you might sit there and look at those numbers and say, Oh, Lord, if I could but get this. Great and mighty things would happen. Why, I give 10% to the church? Or thereabouts. Why, I give everyone I know $500. It would be a wonderful day. What a day of celebration. But I want to tell you something and remind each and every one of you today. 
when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, when He forgave you of your sins, when you were born again, when you trusted in Him, when you believed in Him, there isn't a lottery ticket on earth that could give you what He gave you at the moment that you believed. The things of this earth, they're passing away. Are you willing to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to give it all? Question we have to ask ourselves. That doesn't mean at the end that He will no longer ask us to be stewards of those things that He has entrusted us with. But it should be a question that is in our hearts and in our minds. Have we, in fact, used the things that God has given as an appropriate steward? Do you know, as we were breaking bread today, someone was talking about seeing His face. And the thought came to mind, when we see His face, not only is it His face that we want to see, but there are some words that we want to hear, Right? Does anybody know what those words are? Is it, is it in your mind or in your heart that one day you want to hear these words from Him? What would it be? Well done. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Enter in. Your rest. Oh, not only to see His face, but to hear those words. You know, you and I, we are challenged each and every day we live in this world. You know, because the things of this world, they are so deceitful. And they want to take your heart and your mind away from the Lord. They want to steal away your affection and your devotion. What a challenge we have. But what a wonder it will be when we enter into eternity and we see that face, that one who loved us, face to face with my Redeemer. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. What a wonder. What a wonder it will be when we see that face. And I trust, hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh God, our Father, we come to you in the name of thy Son, the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for these stories that we read. Oh God, our Father, with the deep and meaningful lessons. Oh God, our Father, help us to approach thee with truth and honesty and integrity. Help us, oh God, our Father, to express truth in the inner parts. Help us, oh God, our Father, to be ready to confess when we fail and fall short. Help us to have that great confidence and assurance that You are so willing and ready to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank Thee, O God, our Father, for the wonderful gift of advocacy of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus, who daily makes intercession for us. We thank Thee, O God, our Father, for this and all things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now dismiss us with Thy blessing, we pray. Amen.